Hi, everybody. My name is Jared Milrad. I'm the founder of Movie Karma. We are the nonprofit organization that created our podcast here called Rewriting Hollywood, which I'm sure, as many of you know, focuses on diversity, equity, inclusion, representation, and social impact in Hollywood, and really looking at the underrepresented uh, as well social impact storytellers around the world who are fostering social change through the power of story. Um, today, I'm really excited to have uh, a special guest who has come through our Show for a Change Film Festival, made a really terrific uh, documentary called The Trust Crisis. Uh, our guest today is Natalie Cantares-Diaz, who is the director behind the project. Uh, again, it's a, it's a really fascinating documentary. It looks at issues of, of trust, yeah, trust in our government, trust in each other, um, our politics, our policies, uh, and how, how trust kind of in, infuses and affects all of those issues. It's really fascinating, really, really relevant. Uh, and I'm excited to have Natalie on the show today. So Natalie, thanks so much for joining us. Excited to have you on. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be on. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's dive in. Uh, now, we saw that you are a multi-talented uh, first-class Oxford graduate. You are currently working as an in-house producer, director, and documentary researcher for Silverfish Films, and you've received a master's, a Master of Arts in Film and Philosophy at King's College London. Tell us a little bit more, if you would, Natalie, about your journey. Um, when did you think you might go into filmmaking? Yeah, sure. So I think actually right from my childhood, I was always really interested in film. So um, yeah, my dad actually is a professor of sort of Latin American culture and film um, in Cambridge where I grew up. Um, so yeah, I just grew up with loads and loads of DVDs of sort of obscure like art house documentaries and films and the like, yeah, everywhere basically. Um, so yeah, it was like as a bored teenager, sort of every few evenings I'd sort of pick up a new film and watch it. So I think that was, it started off just being a sort of window into a different culture for me, sort of living in middle-class Cambridge, you know, um, just getting transported suddenly to sort of a city in Argentina or a favela in Brazil it was yeah just that's that sort of sparked my interest um and then yeah I I guess I always had that in the back of my mind that I wanted to work in documentary um and I, I then studied languages at university and uh had that as well as sort of you know that would leave the the, the sort of path open for me to maybe carry on into the documentary sphere just with those sort of cultural um, encounters with different people um, and then yeah I, I was really lucky to have a, a tutor in Italian um, at university who was a sort of film specialist um, so a specialist in modern Italian cinema um, and I ended up doing a thesis on um, sort of comparing different modern Italian films um, and that really sort of cemented my interest and then I went on to do a master's um, in, in London in film and philosophy. Um, so I really came from quite a sort of academic 
um, background into the film sphere. Um, but then in, during that master's, I did do one practical sort of documentary module. Um, and I, yeah, I sort of filmed a, a Colombian market in London um, that was sort of threatened by gentrification. And uh, yeah, absolutely right. just loved that story. And um, it really just cemented that, that idea of just, yeah, encountering different cultures and using my languages and all of that. And, and then, yeah, started working for Silverfish Films and, and, and there we go. <laughs> yeah, and there we are. And you mentioned using your different languages. I saw that you're a quadrilingual, uh, multi-talented, multilingual person. Um, <laughs> did that? I, I want to hear more about that. If that, you know, that's fascinating that you have that ability to jump between cultures and languages. Um, how has that come in handy as you've started to develop your, you know, your interest in filming? Yeah, so I mean, my mum is Colombian, so um, I grew up bilingual. Um, and again, that sort of having my foot between two different cultures was, I think, just a really priceless thing for me. Um, so yeah, that sort of, again, got me thinking about studying more languages. Um, and I did French and Italian at university. And yeah, it's been actually really, really useful. I mean, just being able to sort of tap into different uh, cultural bubbles, even within what a certain city and tell stories that don't usually get featured um, and voices that don't usually get heard because they can't communicate properly with, um, I don't know, yeah, dominant sort of media narratives here, here in the UK. I think that I've really loved using my languages to do that. Um, mm. And I also at one point lived in Paris and I um, worked for a little bit for Reuters TV in Paris um, and sort of obviously I yeah, used my French and English there to sort of report on stories, talking to people in French and then write them up in English. And I think, yeah, just that that sort of idea of marrying film and a love of languages has just been, yeah, sort of central narrative to my life up until now. Mm, yeah, I mean, I could see how it'd be really useful to give you a window into other cultures, especially as, as, as someone making documentary projects. Um, I wanted to ask about any mentors you've had. It's something that we're always fascinated by. If you've had people along the way who've guided you or supported you and, and what advice did, did any of those types of folks give to you that might have been helpful? Yeah. Um, so I think my dad, actually, from a very early age, just the fact that he was sort of really embedded in studying the cultural output of sort of filmmakers and documentarians, I think just I was so privileged to have been brought up in that sort of atmosphere um, where culture was really treated as a really serious, really beautiful thing. And, and yeah, I, my friends always say actually, um, like that while they were watching Disney films, I was watching these sort of, I don't know, random documentaries, <laughs> still haven't seen films like The Lion King or wow. things like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I guess from, I think that sort of really established, opened my eyes to that sort of thing. But then in terms of actual mentors, I think that came later when I moved to London um, and I could really sort of myself embed myself within the, the cultural documentary making scene here. So I think that 
the, literally the day after I moved to London, I started volunteering at a documentary film festival um, here called Open City Docs. Um, and it's yeah, really beautiful, wonderful festival that sort of celebrates the avant-garde of documentary filmmaking. Um, and I just met loads of amazing people there who were just really interested in the same things as I was interested in and um, loved going to all the talks and the Q and A's um, and chatting to people. And I think those that's where, yeah, just embedding myself in that atmosphere was where my, the mentoring sort of really started for me. Mm, fascinating. Yeah, that, I could see how that would be a great learning atmosphere for a young filmmaker. Um, I wonder too, like on the question of representation, before we get to the, to the film, um, you know, there's still unfortunately not uh, a lot of female filmmakers, such as documentarians. Um, that we see celebrated. We know that, you know, obviously we, we meet tons of folks around the world who are doing awesome work who often are underrepresented and not getting the attention they should. I wonder what that journey was like for you, um, you know, as a, as a female filmmaker, did you feel that you had to kind of chart your own path or did you have people that were guiding you and, and, and kind of made you feel at home in, in this industry? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, yeah, it's weird actually, because in yeah, Silverfish films, we make a lot of sort of short docs and, you know, campaign videos, everything with sort of, you know, social impact um, values, but often it would be sort of three person teams. Um, and I really like working with all female crews and uh, it will be just sort of three of us and people will be like, oh, wow, like oh, a, a team of just three women. And the fact, obviously, that's great to celebrate that, but the fact that they're still sort of commenting on that as if that's something out of the ordinary. Like if it were three men, people wouldn't necessarily comment on that. So I think, mm. yeah, it has, you do definitely notice, um, yeah, the underrepresentation, even on sort of meetings with other creatives and other film professionals, it's often really dominated by, by men and maybe men of a certain age and yeah, often white. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely something really noticeable, but I think again, if you sort of, um, what I've really enjoyed doing is, is meeting other women who, um, yeah, sort of young up and coming filmmakers, for example, like in, in those festivals, um, mm. And just sort of really making a community and, and, and seeing that actually there are so many people out there and, and sort of teaming together and collaborating can, can, yeah, produce really wonderful things. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. You started to find your kind of your your crew there, as you say, um, yeah. and have kind of pushed forward that lack of representation to, to change it. Um, I want to talk about your award-winning film, The Trust Crisis, which we celebrate as part of our show for change. Film Festival, it explores uh, whether declining trust in politics may be one of the most threatening crises we face today and whether the very concept of democracy is at threat globally. Um, you have top academics in the field, in the film, you have journalists, experts, you have politicians, you have a lot of ordinary citizens from around the world, especially the UK, uh, US and Denmark. They talk about how they feel about politics, but also whether or not they trust politicians, whether they trust each other and how we can create more trust, trustworthy or trusting um, democratic societies. 
tell us a little bit more before we dive into a lot of the kind of really fascinating points of that. Um, tell us a little more, if you and Natalie, about like why you decided to go down this route and what interests you about the topic. How did you start exploring it? Yeah, so actually it was born out of a collaboration with a group of academics um, working sort of here in the UK and actually in, in Harvard as well in the US and they, they research trust in politics so their group is called TrustGov. Um, and we were sort of talking to them about potential film ideas and they it's yeah basically the the question of whether we trust politicians is just it feels so so topical at the moment um, and they were suggesting actually we're, we're living through a trust crisis um, and it's not something it's something that's sort of bubbling away underneath the surface but then sort of comes out in massive sort of waves like in January the, the in yeah last January um, with the capital riots and right. that yeah it's just it feels so topical and then we started sort of yeah, talking about um, the repercussions of that and, you know, is democracy even a threat? Just, it's such a huge question. So we were just fascinated. We would have sort of calls every week chatting about the topic, just trying to flesh out different strands and, and, and different countries where sort of different repercussions are happening. And it yeah, it, basically we could just talk about the that topic for hours and hours with those academics so that's what sort of sparked our interest um initially um yes hmm. okay so that makes sense this is very topical uh very very much hot topics definitely here in the u.s and, and obviously the other countries you, you profile in the film um tell us a little bit about like what angle you thought as you started developing the film and started meeting with perhaps some of the subjects of the film, academics and others, um, what were some of the themes that started to emerge for you that you felt like were kind of bubbling up uh, that you feel like you know, started to give you the focus under that, under that umbrella of, of trust? Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess the question of you know whether we are actually living through a crisis of trust at the moment because many people sort of think that we aren't you know we've all, there's always been a level of sort of skepticism and cynicism in in government um so i guess exploring the question of you know firstly are we living through a crisis of trust then also what what actually is trust in politics and sort of how important is it that we trust politicians because obviously you know complete trust in the political system wouldn't wouldn't lead to anything good you know nothing would ever happen it'd be complete chaos but then too much sort of blind trust and blind faith in politicians is something that we don't want either um and you know yeah you see that can lead to sort of dictatorships and anything sort of yeah happening um and actually interestingly uh China um, has some of the highest levels of recorded political trust. So that's a, yeah, an interesting mm. point there. So we right. were sort of comparing sort of differing levels of trust and what and what what's the ideal level of trust in politicians and is there anywhere that's sort of come close to reaching that? So then we started thinking, okay, um, what sort of case study countries can we um employed to to start thinking about these differing levels of trust so we thought the us 
came up as a quite a clear example of sort of quite extreme distrust. So um, in a certain set of figures, it's only 14% of, of people in the US trust politicians, which right. is crazy. Staggering, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, and then we did want to sort of have a focus on the UK because, you know, we were all based there. Um, and that was sort of a, a middle, middle ground of sort of, around 34% I think trust politicians um, and then uh, yeah the Scandinavian countries always come to mind as sort of slightly more stable trusting societies where everything sort of works well um, and we started sort of researching and Denmark um, came up as one of the countries that um, people called it the sort of Danish ideal and you know politicians around the world always sort of cite Denmark as this example of, of great welfare state and great education and everything just functions really nicely. Um, so we came to those three case studies and sort of uh, took a sort of Goldilocks approach to the film. So um, too much, maybe too little and, and in between. Um, but then with the, with the Denmark example, I think, yeah, it's about 50% of people trust trust government there um but it, yeah what also came out of that example was that um actually um it's also quite a homogenous society so is there um right. a sort of price to pay for the higher trust um because a lot of people that we talked to there said oh you know it's it works well because everyone sort of looks like each other and everyone trusts each other and and this that and the other and we were like okay well I, I don't think that model would sort of work in in the more multicultural societies of the US and the UK and, and nor would we really want it to work because you know you don't want a society where everything's sort of homogenized and um yeah, and the sort of cultural differences in cultural communities and bubbles that exist in those societies are sort of flattened, um, which is what they're sort of doing in Denmark. And they have some of the most restrictionist immigration policies um, in in Europe and, right. and um, yeah, a sort of demolishing migrant um, ghettos, as they call them in, in Copenhagen. Um, so that was a really interesting finding to come out of, of the documentary as well. Right. Yeah, that point about, you know, homogenous societies like Denmark and maybe in Sweden or Finland um, to varying degrees, uh, how they how they have more seem to have more trust in their governments versus uh, uh, multicultural societies. Like, what do you think? Um, what do you think that tells us in terms of in terms of how in a place like the US, we can work to build like you said, maybe more, you know, informed, educated trust, but not blind trust, but sort of a sense that, you know, hey, if we put in the right people and we pay attention, we we can trust our government and our, and our leaders. Like, how do we how do we get to that place in places that are more, you know, uh, diverse and and maybe a little more inclusive? Mm. Yeah, I think it's it's about sort of finding points of commonality that aren't linked to sort of say how people look or um, or where they're from originally. So those could be sort of, you know, community groups or, or, or unions or, you know, people need to sort of feel like they're, um, they're unified 
in in other ways and and, and other purposes um and yeah another uh, one solution that we looked at in the documentary was actually citizens assemblies um so sort of bringing loads of citizens uh randomly selected citizens together um a sort of representation of all different parts of the population um so from say bankers to cleaners to immigrants to people from all around the the country um and having them sort of consult on what needs to change in society and sort of having experts there to sort of guide them and 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 give sort of information that's verified so we're avoiding the sort of misinformation um craziness as well and um and yeah having them sort of work on different policies and policy ideas and and that's one way of sort of empowering citizens directly i guess um so it's yeah with a relationship of trust i guess like with any relationship of trust um it's sort of the government has to trust in the citizens um in order to get trust back from from them mm, that's fascinating yeah it's a, it's a mutuality isn't it it's a two-way mm. street that needs to exist for for the democracy or the governments to function um i want to talk about that in misinformation bit because you, you covered it quite a bit in the documentary it was fascinating on the, the section on conspiracy theorists and why conspiracies thrive in certain places we know in the us they unfortunately do really really well um and thrive uh, particularly on social media um, and you, there's an interesting point made in the documentary that conspiracy people who are conspiracy theorists or believe in conspiracies tend to be actually kind of, kind of like very engaged. Like they're not people, there's sort of a stereotype that they're folks who are just gullible, but they're often people who are actually devouring a lot of information and are really interested when person devouring, you know, kind of taking the, the wrong in, information. Talk a little bit more about that, if you would, in terms of its impact on trust and why perhaps through your research, a place like the U.S. seems to be very susceptible to conspiracies spreading and, 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 and kind of affecting our view of our government. Mm. Yeah, so I think because with the U.S. you're starting from a place of a very polarized society. So you've got people it's almost some people have described it as like a civil war a quasi civil war that's sort of bubbling mm. away between republicans and democrats and and it's sort of getting more and more extreme and every time a sort of president of the other color gets in it sort of polarizes another group and then you know when biden came in people saying that that was a fraud and all of this stuff so it's just it's getting worse and worse so i think as as then people also feel more disengaged um, from the government and feel you know if they're losing their jobs or it's not going well economically for them just getting more and more disengaged from sort of the reality of life I think then if you take all those feelings and that polarization and you put it on the online sphere it just gets exacerbated um, and you have sort of online groups targeting those disaffected people as well to increase their following or to get their message out there and it's yeah it, it just it gets exacerbated to a completely next level um and i think 
yeah, that's one of the really sort of nefarious and, and dangerous aspects of distrust that we're seeing in 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 the modern world, um, and is a yeah, is a really scary sort of consequence of the trust crisis and something that's sort of it's almost a vicious circle as it happens more it just gets worse and worse and it's yes sort of spiraling out of control yeah it does seem that way it's a, it can be it can be quite uh quite frightening especially when like you said people don't kind of believe like they're just so divorced from reality not only they distrust their government they don't, they don't believe that the government essentially exists in the way that everyone else um, seems seems to think based on the re shared reality we think we're all living in. So yeah. on that point, I wonder like, uh, you know, obviously we, we could have been left really hopeless by the film, but you have a great section on like, kind of what can we do? And you talked about citizen assemblies, um, which are fascinating that can kind of recommend policies and, and changes. Um, perhaps build some more trust in government through that through that vein. But what what other um, you know changes or ways do you think that folks who are listening to this can can maybe foster more trust amongst their neighbors, their communities, in our government, and and, and hopefully rekindle that sense of uh, connection. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of what the government can do you know sort of more um regulation on sort of social media and and all of those things um and also really sort of uh, fostering those relationships and empowering citizens and in terms of yeah i guess you know social trust so interpersonal trust really feeds into political trust so um yeah it really is about sort of increasing trust in communities as you as you mentioned so i guess joining community groups and 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 you know community centers and uh, just sort of stopping to have have a chat with your neighbor or or just making an effort to have a chat with someone who has come from a different place or um, has grown up in a different bubble to you or just anything that sort of brings diverse members of communities together I think that's just such an such a powerful thing and even actually sort of coming back to what we were talking about at the beginning sort of watching films and, and documentaries that can bring you into different bubbles and that can cause you to have encounters with people who who you wouldn't usually sort of come across in your in your daily sphere or your daily life um i think that's that's a really powerful powerful thing as well yeah it is and that's that's a great point it's something that we really try to foster uh as well and i think you've done through your film is 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 looking for stories and and people's experiences that are different from our own so that we can connect in those ways. On that point, I was going to ask my, my last question uh, about just sort of the social impact of filmmaking. It's something that we spend a lot of time working on and highlighting um, and, and also trying to make filmmaking and storytelling more inclusive and equitable and representative. What are your thoughts on some of those issues that the industry is currently you know, grappling with, um, maybe for the, in some cases for the first time, unfortunately? Um, and how can we make you know the storytelling more impactful and inclusive do you think mm, yeah i think yeah i think we as creators and, and the film industry has such an important responsibility because it you know we are creating dominant narratives that people are going to be seeing and that's going to be influencing new generations and and, and all of this so i think it's it's really sort of opening up 
the industry and and sort of un unstereotyping the the narratives that the industry is putting out there unromanticizing them maybe diversifying them definitely um and to do that yeah you have to open up the industry and bring people who have had different lived experiences um come in and and be sort of creating that content and and writing those stories and i yeah i guess that's you know potentially through through mentoring as well, you can sort of attract different people to come in and 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 sort of uh, yeah follow those routes and and just yeah really making an effort to sort of to to bring in new generations of, of women and um, you know people of color and just people who have had completely different experiences um, to to the dominant yeah narratives that are being put out there in the industry at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. I think all those all those pathways are are key um, and, and really really important. Um, the last few questions we have for you, uh, Natalie, is, is uh, we call it rapid fire sections. These are sort of quick, layer questions we like to ask to close out our conversations. And the first one we had for you was on your language skills. Um, you've been able to learn, as you said, multiple languages. So we're curious, like, how do you use and train? your those languages and keep them keep them fresh and and keep them uh active for you um actually through through watching films i love just watching films without subtitles and just immersing myself in in that culture and that language and then just sort of chat to people whoever in that language after just even if they don't understand yeah <laughs> that's cool that's really really cool um we don't have as you probably know the best um language training i would say in the u.s versus other countries so it's something i think is really important um uh in schools and beyond Chris, if you have a ritual or some process you do to get creative as you're gonna make a film or if you're on set like do you do you have any Thing you come back to as a ritual to get in a kind of creative mindset mm, um i guess if i'm in a sort of solo creative atmosphere um i would just sit down and write so in the morning i might just wake up and just write whatever i'm thinking and feeling even if it's not related to the film and that just sort of yeah it gets creative juices flowing or if it's yeah on set and we're gonna interview someone i think just having a chat with that person about their life and about everything just not related to the film um and getting to know them as a person i think that just strikes up a beautiful sort of creative partnership for what's about to happen yeah absolutely i love that um and the last question we had for you was if you could travel if you could do some time travel if you could travel anywhere in time in the in the past um, we're curious like what period would you want to go to and if there's someone you'd want to share a meal with during that time period oh that's a good question uh i think probably uh to meet one of the sort of native american tribes that were in south america before um, Christopher Columbus came. Um, so maybe, yeah, like the Mayans or something. I think I'd be just so fascinated to see those cultures and to, to have dinner maybe with one of the tribe leaders or something. Wow, that's a really, really cool answer. Um, yeah, a lot of history there. Of course, we, we unfortunately don't know enough about uh, here in in, uh, in the US and other parts of the world. But uh, but yeah, this was, this was really fantastic to, 
have you on the show, Natalie, um, and to, to, to feature your film as part of our show for Change Film Festival. Again, our guest today, Natalie Kintars Diaz. The film is called The Trust Crisis. I hope folks will check it out and um, and 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 take take uh, take action on some of the some of the issues that are raised in the film. It's really fantastic. Uh, again, Natalie, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much, Sheridan. It's a pleasure to chat. Thank you.